understand we've all felt stuck at one point or another, even the most successful people among us, because it's a rite of passage, a trial, to see if you have what it takes to be independent. The test is to prove that you deserve your destiny. Each week our goal is to bring you an inspiring story of someone who moved beyond their stranded face and found greatness on the other side. Welcome to The Stranded Podcast, and this is your host, Jessica Hurley. Welcome back to another episode of The Stranded Podcast. You're listening to episode 10. Guys, if you've been following me this long, thank you so much for joining me on this journey. I hope every interview and everyone we've brought onto this show has been inspiring or helped you in some way, shape, or form, or been someone that you can relate to. If you are loving everything you hear, please, please make sure on iTunes you take a second to write a review, uh, rate and review, and please check out thestrandedphase.com for more information on our guests. You can subscribe to our email list. I give a lot more inside content uh, through my subscribed community, the Stranded Phase community. So please, please join us. I hope you're loving everything. And I just wanted to say thank you so much. We have gotten so much feedback and love about the episode uh, that Chris Bruce and I, my boyfriend and I, we did together, and we had a blast doing it, and we're so grateful that sharing our personal life with you all uh, could could give you some inspiration, um, you know, whether it be the way you treat your relationship or your spouse or your significant other, um, you know, being vulnerable is what I prioritize on this show. So I'm glad it was helpful, and I'm loving the feedback, but Today's guest, this one is personal for me. As you guys know, I just did my TEDx talk this week, and I really focused on sharing a message that's very personal for me and important, and it was the ripple effect of mentoring. And that's because my audience was college students, and I have a big focus on our future generation, focusing on mentoring one because I know the impact it has because I had a mentor of my own. And I've talked about it in episode five in my personal life, how I ended up moving in with my mentor when I was 18, and how much she changed the trajectory of my life. That was what I shared a lot in my TEDx talk, which we'll post to YouTube soon and on my website as well. And I really, really hope you guys check it out. I had a blast doing it. It was also one of the hardest things I've ever done. (laughs) A lot of practice and a lot of preparation, but Because I recently did that TEDx talk, my mentor, Jamie, came down to watch. And so while she was here, we wanted to make sure that we took some time to do a podcast episode and get a little personal. So I want to welcome today's guest, my personal mentor and literally sister, other mom, best friend, Jamie Bakari. Hello, everybody. So... This is this is really different for for me as well because Jamie's been in my life for the last 10 years and I still count on her for countless things but to hear from her on the other side maybe why she's done some of these things or just the stuck phases of her own life is this is actually really as exciting for me as I hope it is for you and as much value as she gives to me I know she'll give to you all as well. So I really, really want to start with how I told you guys that I moved in with Jamie when I was 18. And I had been working with her for a while, so I couldn't think of a better question to ask her than 
Jamie, why in the hell? <laughs> why did you take me in? Why did you let me move in with you at 18? What was what was the purpose and and why? Who would do this? <laughs> I don't think there was a purpose. I think that I've worked with children for a long time. I'd been working with children when I was younger in gymnastics camps and then in college I worked with kids. And I had been with Parks and Recreation for quite a few years, so I'd built relationships with kids. And you were one of the ones that had gone from a participant in our programs to then working for us part-time to full-time. And I've just always had an interest in youth and their future, what they were going to do. And I remember having a conversation with you and you just not knowing what your future was going to be. And that just shocked me because for me, everything was always so clear. I had goals, ambitions. I knew what, when, why, where, how I was going to do something. And if I didn't, I just found the way to do it. So working in a community where there were a lot of kids who had ambition, but had no understanding of how to get there just baffled me. And I remember, I don't remember the conversation in the dugout, like you always say, but I remember you coming up to the car at the community center you worked at and, and saying, I think I'm going to take you up on that offer that you extended to me. And I remember going, oh, shit. <laughs> what offer did I extend? Oh, I told her she could move in with me. And I remember thinking, okay, yeah, sure. Trying to be really understanding and good with it. And then driving away thinking, what in God's name did I just get myself into? And then I remember calling my parents and telling them and them saying, what in God's name did you just get yourself into? And I was like, she's a good kid. Like she just, she needs support and she wants to go to college and I'm gonna help her do that. And she's been working for us for a while. So I know her and it'll be fine. It'll all work out. Um, and fortunately it did, uh, but I don't know what I was thinking. I don't, I really don't, I don't. It was just one of those things that came out of my mouth and I don't know if I just felt a connection with you or for the first time, for me, I just wanted to impact someone more than just being the lady at the community center that was always there who kept us in line. So I'm not really sure what made me put that offer out or what happened, but it was definitely um, quite a ride and it was, it's been a great ride and it's been you know interesting. To say the least. So I, you have to think about why I asked this question, right? So imagine this. Picture yourself, because I'm sure a lot of you guys are close in age to me if you're listening to this. I'm 20, oh, well, I'll be 29 on Sunday, but I'm 28 years old. I have my infant son right now and my boyfriend, and that is enough work in its own. Jamie was 28 years old when I moved in with her. 28. You're 28 years old and you take in an 18 year old. Like, I really just want you guys to think about that. And that's why I'm asking that question because I would never, ever take in a high school aged graduate like an 18 year old. I wouldn't take in a high school student. Matter of fact, I wouldn't take in anybody that wasn't, I might, but I wouldn't consider taking anyone in that wasn't my child at 28 years old when I'm not fully established. But the difference between you and I is, is that as long as I've known you, even at 25, you had your own house, you paid your own bills, you were very, very, very independent. And I think that's what attracted me to you so much because I was like, who is this woman? Like she's, she, she walks with so much intent and she, she's ha she has plans and she knows what she's doing and she's very content with her life. And 
I just saw what I wanted in you. I saw, I was like, I want to be that powerful woman. I want to know where I'm going in life. I want to have a plan. And as long as I've known you, your life has been so planned out to the T. And if it comes out of your mouth, I know it's going to happen. It's going to happen and it's going to happen really, really fast. (laughs) So I, I think your skills to plan taught me a lot of planning, which, you know, and then actually believing in the things that I established for myself, but has, it seems as if you planning everything out has worked out for you very well because you achieved goals that people have for decades and in a few years, has that planning that strictly has that work? Would you say that that's worked out to your benefit or would you say that it has possibly hurt you? Do you think that you missed out on anything? Didn't live your life to the full potential? Were you too focused on your goals? Was staying focused that long? What? I think, I think it's funny. I think a lot of people think like I had these set goals and I, I mean, I didn't have set goals. Um, there was an expectation growing up that I was going to go to college. My father worked hard. My parents raised us that they wanted us to have experiences. So I knew I was going to college I knew I wanted to go to college out of state. Um, I knew I wanted to be in Florida. Don't ask me why I picked Florida, um, other than we vacationed there when I was a child and I liked the warm weather. Cause right, because you're not from Florida. Where are no, you from? I'm from Rhode Island, right. where it's cold and it snows a lot, and I hate it. Um, so I think that I didn't really have set goals. There were just expectations that my family had for me. And so going to college was an expectation. So getting in and going to Flagler College in St. Augustine was the first commitment that I fulfilled in the expectations of me. Um, when I graduated, it was, you're gonna have, you need to get a job. And by the end of college, I knew I loved parks and recreation. I loved working with youth. I loved being in an environment that wasn't focused on education because there were so many stresses that the teachers went through to work with kids. And I was that really fun person that got to do homework and then play all afternoon. So I liked being the good person, even if I did have to put someone in timeout or talk to their parents, I still was the fun person. I wasn't the teacher that was failing and crushing this child's dreams. So recreation by my senior year of college was a given. I knew that's what I was gonna do. My internship was in something in an office job and I hated it. And I was like, this is not what I want to do ever. So I went back to St. Augustine and Parks and Recreation. So I think I never really had a set plan. It just kind of all fell into place for me with my connections and my relationships. And then in all honesty, some of it was just sheer determination to prove my father wrong. Mm. Um, You are too young to buy a house. You don't make enough money to buy a house. Okay, well, I want to buy a house. I'm sick of living in apartments. We'll save $5,000 and then we can discuss you moving into a house, buying a house. Okay. I mean, I lived on ramen noodles, but I saved my money and I said, all right, I got my money. I'm ready to buy a house. And he's like, you're not going to get a house. And I started looking on my own. And then when I started looking on my own, nah, you can't buy a house on your own. Let me come down there and look at these houses with you. So my dad came down and then we looked at houses together. Both my parents came down and we looked at houses together. Um, So I always had the challenge that my parents put in front of me, but I had the support of my parents as well. So again, I never, everyone feels like I had these dreams and aspirations. I really didn't. My life just kind of fell into place with the choices and the things that I did and the fact that my parents 
if I brought something up, it was a challenge for me to prove my parents wrong. Like, yes, I can't accomplish this. What are you talking about? This is easy. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it's hard for me when people be like, oh, your life is just so, it wasn't laid out. I really don't feel like it was. And definitely not letting a seven, 18 year old move in with me was not part of that, that to-do list either. I just think I took what was presented to me at the time and tried to figure out, well, what can I gain from this? What can I gain? What does my community gain? What, what, how does this benefit? And that's just how I continuously moved forward. Let me make this situation a little bit clearer for you guys. Um, if you didn't listen to episode five, and I talk a lot about at 18 when I move in with my mentor, but <clears throat> the, the, the total situation was that I moved in with her at 18 and I ended up living with her. Um, we knew each other since I was 15, Yeah. but I ended up moving in with her at 18. And I think I lived with you for maybe a little over two years. It was like two and a half years. Yeah. Two and a half years until I moved to Tallahassee to go to uh, Florida state. But so over the course of two and a half years, of course, I got my A degree while I lived with her. I worked for her. Um, so just to say that our lives were intertwined is an understatement. Um, it, was an, it was from the sun up to sundown. We lived together. We woke up together. Um, it was like having a roommate that was in charge. Uh, and I want to talk about some of the things that were great that you did. And I want to talk about some of the things that I witnessed. And one of them is that poor Chris, bless his heart. Uh, I pressure him. Well, I'm just being honest. I, I've been pressuring him a lot lately about marriage and, you know, um, being a wife. And now that we have a child and it's definitely something that's on the table, but we discuss often and openly that part of the reason why I press it so hard is because when I lived with Jamie, I, um, you had a boyfriend. Correct. Almost the entire duration that I lived with you. Yes. And he was in and out of living with us. Yes. Um, he was like a he was like a mentor to me as well. Correct. Um, and we had a very good relationship. And what ended up happening towards the end of me leaving and leaving and moving to Tallahassee was I witnessed you be in a relationship with this guy who you for certain thought that you were gonna marry. And I think you guys were together five years? Yeah, about five and a half. Almost yeah, five and a half years, and then you didn't end up marrying him and you guys ended up separating. And so not to sound so degrading when I say this, but I, I witnessed you waste five years of your life with someone mm-hmm. that you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with and you didn't. And, you know, Chris and I often talk about that subconsciously. That's a fear I have with Chris is that what I witnessed you go through might happen to me. I don't want to waste five years of my life with someone that doesn't end up being my husband. So can you, can we revisit and talk about like that situation and what it did to you and kind of what happened? Cause I know there's other people out there that have been in long-term relationships like this and something like this has happened. Yeah. I met my, the boyfriend, the guy that I was with for those five and a half years, um, at a conference and we dated long distance for two and a half years, I believe. Cause he was getting his master's. And, um, he moved to St. Augustine once he graduated cause he didn't get a job in, uh, where he was going to school. And, um, for me at that point, I think mentally I felt as though I had a great career. I loved what I did. I loved my community. I had a house. The next step for me was to meet that forever person, have a family and start that next part of my life. Um, some of my friends had done it right out of college. 
I say all the time now, thank the Lord I didn't because I would have been divorced. Um, but this was, this, I was ready. Like mentally, I was ready to be in a relationship. I was ready to be with someone to start a future and think about those goals. I really wanted that partnership. Um, and what I, long distance, we did well. I think we struggled, you know, just typical long distance relationships. But the, the larger struggle occurred when he moved into the house. Um, and a lot of the stuff, a lot of the things that we struggled with was living together, just my corks, his corks. Um, as you say, I am a very demanding person, um, (laughs) and not demanding as in pick up your shoes, throw that away, do this. But if I put a hundred percent in, I expect you to put a hundred percent in because I want to receive what I'm giving. Um, and I feel that that's how it should be in a relationship. I, obviously there's going to be times where someone doesn't, can't give or struggles with giving, but ultimately I viewed it as a partnership. And I think it was difficult to be a partnership when we were on very different levels. And for me, that didn't matter because I really wanted to empower and you'll get a job. And this was also at like the worst part of the economy. There were no jobs, parks and recreation jobs, college recreation jobs were getting slashed left and right from budget cuts. So it was really hard to get a job. Um, But I tried to always support and be there. And, um, and I carried the bulk of the weight when it came to paying the bills, going out, ensuring our life wasn't non-exciting because we didn't have the money to do things. Um, so I really utilized, I really believed in like making this a relationship that was going to work. And ultimately we had a lot of struggles. Um, I, do you think part of it was, cause I'm just listening to the situation and now I remember it. I'm, I, I remember it vividly where, um, you know, I would come home from work a lot of days and he was home before you cause he was home all day looking for a job. Um, you know, and, and when you say that, to, when you say that out loud, it sounds like someone's being a bum. Like when you say out loud, a man was home all day looking for a job. It sounds like, oh, what a bum. You know, but he had a master's degree. He was looking for a job. He was looking for a job. And some of the struggles were that you're home all day. Why are there dirty dishes in the sink? I worked all day. I mean, typical things that I think married couples, just couples in general have. Um, you know, he would search for jobs and then he would hang out, relax, do whatever, which was great. But I would work all day and come home. And anyone that works with children knows you're exhausted when you come home. So I don't want to come home and do dishes. I don't want to come home and do laundry. I didn't even want to come home and cook. And nine out of 10 times I was coming home and washing dishes, putting dishes in the dishwasher, cooking dinner. So it was stressful. And one of the things I did learn from this relationship too was, learning how to communicate better. So, I mean, I struggled with communication. I grew up in an Italian household. Communication is screaming at each other. You can know the level of anger based on the loudness of the screaming um, and the tone in the screaming. So, you know, a lot of communication was loud communication. People used to always ask me why I let Jamie yell at me like that. And I'm like, she's not yelling. She's just talking. (laughs) That's how she talks. So it's hard for people to get past that. Like until you really know me, you don't realize I'm not yelling. You'll know I'm yelling. Trust me, there's a big difference. So I think that we just struggled to find our equal grounds. And I never, I don't feel like, and I don't know because I'm not him, that I ever threw in his face that I owned a house and I had money and I paid the bills. 
But I think ultimately that was one of the biggest struggles that we, we had between each other. It was a checkoff of you have this, I don't. We're not equals until I have what you have. And that was a constant conversation that we would have. Because I would always say, but what I have is yours. This is ours. And that's not how it was viewed by him. It was mine. He didn't have his own house. He didn't have a job. He didn't have those things. So we were never on equal terms. Well, from, well, I'm just envisioning if that were me. Like, and I could see, I could see his point of view. Like, I could see if I'm not together and I don't have my stuff together and I don't have any money and we're now, you know, you're, you're paying all the bills and for us to go out to dinner one night to not be bored to death or go play golf or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you have to pay for that too. Like, especially as a man, do you think that was like at all emasculating or anything? I think it it was a struggle for him. Um, I think... Again, my view was we're partners. We're in this together. How do we make this work together? Mm -hmm. I'm here to support you. But yeah, I think that it probably is when you're in a relationship where the, and it's hard for me because I look at it as I would feel, I would never live in a house where I had to rely on a man because I never want to be that person. I want to take care of myself. I want to pull my own weight. So yes, I can say that was probably a struggle and I tried my hardest. I felt I tried my hardest to say, but I'm in this with you. Like, I get that it frustrates you that I have this and you don't, but we have this. This is my house, but we are living here together. I tried, I always tried to make it that it was ours, not mine, because I never wanted to play that game. Like, I never wanted to play it's mine, not yours. You don't get to decide. Because I thought that was just nasty. Like, even when you moved in, like, this is your room. What do you want to do? No, you can't paint it. But why do you want to decorate it? <laughs> so, you know, and my goal is was to always make you feel like that was Takes a much. home. You know, like, this is your home. Like, I want you to be comfortable coming here. But it was just never there. Um, and when he did finally get a job, first thing he did was move out. Move out, got his own place, had his own life. And I'm like, I just don't understand why you would do that. Like... We could grow as a couple now. Let's renovate this house because there were things we wanted to change. But it wasn't. It was the focus was always on him completing himself and not on us working as a couple to complete each other. In my mind, I felt. I think the underlying attack I always felt was it's always focused on you taking care of yourself, which I didn't mind, but I think ultimately that's what broke our relationship down in the in the long run. I'm instantly thinking about, um, I, can't, I can't believe I'm dropping the, ti- the name of the title right now, but um, one of Steve Harvey's books where he talked about w- oh, women. What was yeah. it? Oh, I, I read it. We read it. We yeah. actually read that book together. It was something about how women have to understand that men cannot be in a marriage or a serious relationship until they're established yeah. because it's everything about their manhood to be providers and, yeah. and have self-worth. and how, like How to be a man... Some, oh, I don't know what it was. I don't remember. How this to, is the one that they made the movie out of, too. Yeah, I can't believe I can't think of the name. But um, it was a Steve Harvey book. And yes. he said that. He said, get. It, it was basically like a get off your man's back. If he's not where he wants to be in life, he's not going to be a successful partner. And did you ever, do you think after knowing that and maybe thinking about that now that you could have done something differently? No, I don't think I could have. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we, we broke up at like three. Three and a half, four years, we broke up for a stint. You actually lived in Tampa. We were supposed to go see a comedy show. We broke up. I brought one of my girlfriends. He was angry at me that I didn't let him come. 
Um, and I was like, well, we're not together anymore. And then you and the other friend were like, you need to stop talking to him. He needs to understand what a straight break is from you. Um, and I just was never able to do that. So, and, I, and ultimately, I couldn't have fixed what he needed to do on his own. He needed to do it on his own. I, I just, I don't know. Because I've always been a person who wants to help someone get to where they want to be. And I, and I really wanted to help him get there so we could do what I wanted, which was to get married and have a family. And I just couldn't get him there. I couldn't figure out how to help, how to make it work. Um, how to fix what he couldn't do or get. Um, but I was still being heavily relied on emotionally. Um, so even once the financial break came where it wasn't a fight, he could take care of himself financially, emotionally there was still an emotional relationship there where I gave a lot and I wasn't receiving a lot. And I just don't know I ever took a step back and realized, is this a healthy relationship? So even at that three and a half year mark, everyone was like, this is done. That's not going to work. And when we got back together, I honestly think mentally I knew it wasn't the forever relationship, but I was so determined to make it work because I did. I loved him wholeheartedly. I gave, like I've said to you, when I give, I give 100% and I expect 100% back because if I'm going to give you all of me, I expect you to do the same back. And and I felt like I never was going to get that, but I never really wanted to admit that. Like I never wanted to be like, he's never going to give me what I want. So I have to ask this. This is a serious question. What, <clears throat> because I'm thinking of all these goals and how you plan and you, I know you said you don't really plan your goals, but when you have a goal in mind, you are, it is a never ending fleet to get there. Like right. you are going. And I'm, I'm thinking, do you ever think for a second that maybe you were so laser focused on getting, you know, we've got that end goal in mind, which for a lot of us women, it's okay. I've accomplished everything. I got a great job. I've got money. I got a house. I got what I need. I just need a man and a kid. Like I need to be married and I need to have right. a child. Do you think at any time you were so laser focused on that, that one, it was so hard to either to really look at the health of the relationship and two, that maybe you were so focused on it. You weren't truly focused on his needs and maybe more focused on just getting him ahead to where he needed to be so that you could get married and have a child. I don't know if it, so yes and no. I, I think that I was ready for that in my life. I wanted a life partner. I wanted a family. I wanted that next step. Um, and I think, I think he wanted it. I think he didn't know how to get there. I think he felt he had to achieve things. And I think we didn't communicate those things. And if we did communicate, it wasn't well. Um, there was a lot of, lots of times our conversations ended, and you witnessed many of them, in hostile, angry arguments. It would start as a conversation and would end in a massive argument where he would walk out. Mm -hmm. And the, my biggest pet peeve was, don't you, damn it, don't walk out when we're having this conversation. Like, don't you abandon me when we're having this conversation. Like, this is our life. This is our future. You don't just walk out. Um, and that was always a struggle for me. That's so funny because I'm thinking about I did witness him walk out a lot. And you are a you you taught me this. You taught me this skill, which is 
when you are at your most breaking point, you you sit down, you take a deep breath, and we're going to talk things out. You taught me how to work through tough situations mentally without dealing with it in anger or shutting down. And still in Chris and I's relationship, we struggle with that. Chris will say, you shut down. You shut down and yeah. you walk out. You hide, you stop. You don't yeah. want to talk about it anymore. And that's that's how Daryl was. And, I, and I'm the opposite. I'm aggressive. I'm very aggressive. Yeah. No, no, let's keep talking. Let's keep having this conversation. Let's get it. I don't care if we take a four-hour break in opposite ends of the house. But when this is a heated conversation, you don't just go, I'm done and walk out. Like, that was hard for me. And I think that's probably stemmed to, even in my house and my relationship with my parents, my father always was the controller of the house and how things went. And as I say all the time, I am my father. And so I don't believe in that. No one is going to own the power. We're going to have this conversation out together. And you and I have even had them where eventually we're just like, all right, I just need a break and I just need to think. And then we can come back and calmly reassess and be like, okay, so where are we going with this? But I'm a talker. I want to figure it out. I'm a problem solver. I don't like when they're, when I don't know what's going on. Like I need to understand. I don't have to agree, but I got to understand. Um, and I think that we struggled with that a lot. I think we just, we had very different methods of communication. And I think that we had very different ways of handling things emotionally. And that usually caused a lot of friction between the two of us. Um, he was a walker out. He needed to walk. He needed to be alone. He needed to think it all through. And I wasn't, I was a knock out, drag out. Let's have this conversation because then when it's done, it's done. I don't want to have this conversation for three weeks and we get nowhere. I want it done tonight and let's be over and move to the next step. Um, because I just felt like you never, it's like spinning your wheels in mud. Like you don't get anywhere when you, for three weeks, you talk about the same issue. Oh my gosh, I'm over this issue. I don't really care. Do whatever you want now because I talked about it and we're still talking about it. So I think for me, that was really hard. Like I'm, I'm definitely a figure it out, determine what it is, think about it, move forward type of person. And I don't think he was at that time in that relationship. Do you think people's different preferences of communication is a huge, like, can either be like a benefit or a, something that hinders relationships? And yeah, I think it's both. I mean, I think it can either benefit you if you both recognize the type of communication styles you have or it can be a huge hindrance. Um, and for us, it was a hindrance. And I mean, we were young, we were both young and it was a serious relationship. And I think everyone has those types of relationships and you learn from them and you move on. Um, but I think that it was a major, we just came from very different communication families to begin with. His interaction with his family, my interaction with my family. You've been around my family. We are in each other's business 99% of the time. And they're in your business because that's how we are. We're very close. We know everything that's going on. We have conversations. It doesn't matter if we like it or not. You're going to hear someone's opinion. I might not like it, but I hear it. And then it might trigger something for me to think about. But we just came from very different family backgrounds where it just, I think that our basic level of communication was just very different. Um, and I do think that it's just, it's either one of those things that you recognize and you move forward with, or it can tear you guys apart. So based on what I'm hearing is this difference in communication 
you know, levels of competitive competitiveness and, you know, the time, the, the, the situations you both were in it at this very time in your life, was that the reason why you separated or was there, is there other reasons? No. So ultimately the, the reason we separated was I ended up, I, I accidentally got pregnant. Um, for me, it was upsetting because I, I don't believe in a lot of religious stuff or a lot of things, but I, I fully believed that a couple should be married and raise a kid as a family. Um, I think I worked with enough children that came from broken homes or single parent homes or homes where the parents weren't married, but somehow they were co-parenting and it just wasn't working that I really believed and I wanted to be married and have a family the traditional way. Um, so for me getting pregnant, it was, I was devastated, devastated. And it's really funny because I really wanted a kid. Um, and I don't know if mentally I was devastated because it didn't happen the way I wanted it to, or if at that very moment I realized, oh my God, this is not going to end well. Um, because I knew what a bad spot the relationship was in. I knew we weren't moving, we were stuck. And no one was willing to make that cut to break the relationship off. So, um, and I remember telling my mom and taking like nine pregnancy tests because I was like, this can't, this can't, this can't be happening to me right now. And um, telling my mom and her being like, do we need to have a shotgun wedding? And I'm like, absolutely not. I said, I will never get married now. And, and I, in looking back, that's key. I had no desire at that point to marry the father of the child I was carrying. And that's just something as I reflect back, I realized you knew, you idiot, you knew then that that wasn't the right relationship for you. But clearly at the point, at that time I didn't. Um, so, and of course he was ecstatic. His family was ecstatic cause we were very close. Um, and I went to the doctors and unfortunately I had miscarried and that was the big turning point for me, for me. And it took me a long time after the miscarriage to realize it. But when we went into the doctor's office, oh my Lord, they made this like long conversation. Like we were with the doctor forever before they did the ultrasound, they did the ultrasound and then there was the no heartbeat and it was just like devastation. But what hurt more was during that time, and I say it because, and I say it like this because this is how it felt. I was laying on a bed with an ultrasound stick in me with a dead baby, and you walked out the room on me because you couldn't handle it. And I will, that was a, I think I just shut down at that point. I don't think I recognized that I shut down, but a part of me just shut down. Like, I'm alone. I'm alone right now. So... So I could be alone. I could be alone. Right. I was alone. Like, I was alone. Like, yep. he hyperventilated. He walked out. He couldn't be in the room with me. And I just... Everything inside of me mentally changed. It just changed. I may not have recognized it then, but of course, in retrospect, like, when people say... Well, what changed? That was, that was when it changed for me. That was when it changed for me because 
how dare you walk out of a room and leave? I'm as devastated as you are. How dare you leave me by myself in there with the doctor? Mm-hmm. That's it, by myself. So now the conversation with the doctor is, well, you have a couple of options. You can abort naturally. You can have a DNC. We can give you some cream to abort. So now I'm getting all these medical conversations and I'm alone. I'm alone because my partner is outside hyperventilating and I was angry I was angry and so but what do I do because I'm always in charge okay nope I am not boarding naturally I will have a DNC I am not going through that trauma I'll have a DNC okay well check your schedule let me know when you're ready take your time I said nope I'll call tomorrow let you know when the appointment will be and we left we had to call my parents and tell them because my mom had told my dad that I was pregnant and that I had gone to the doctor. Um, it was hard for my dad. He didn't understand. He got riled up, as always, when he doesn't understand <laughs> something. Um, and then it was, I get the control from my mother. Okay, so what are we doing now? Right. Well, I need you to check your schedule because I need you to fly down here because I need to have a DNC. Okay. Well, call me. Call the doctor, figure out when they can schedule it. I'll look and we'll figure it out. So now at this point, you're, this is something that you and your partner are supposed to be handling together. Correct. And you have excluded him from the entire conversation. And you're like, my mom and I will handle this. Right. Which, because you walked out and left me alone. So you have no... Don't talk to me about it. <laughs> right. So, and at the time, he actually was back in Tallahassee where he went to school working. So he was commuting on weekends a couple times a month. So um, I made the appointment. I let my mom know. She bought a ticket. I let him know. And he said, well, do you want me to come? And just the question alone pissed me off. And I was like, no, my mom will be here. Don't worry. Right. Like, I was like, what do you mean do I want you to come? They're about to scrape our dead baby out of me. No. I don't watch it there. It's not a big deal. I'm fine. Good. That's the real Jamie that just came out. (laughs) Like, I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, are you kidding me right now? So, and I respect that he may have different ideas and views and opinions on how it all went down, but that's how it went down for me. Um, You know, that's, that's what I remember. That's how it impacted me. And I respect that he might have a different viewpoint of that. Um, But that was, my mom came down, it happened on a Friday, she stayed, it was a long weekend, Um, she stayed, we went to the beach, I relaxed, I kind of zoned out, did my own thing, Um, she left, I got really sick, I got a kidney infection, Um, so then I was in a lot of pain, Um, and I was alone, again, and, um, but we were still together, per se, But, um, I think I just, that was it for me. Like I kind of shut down and I even got a little, um, irresponsible, like how you used to do (laughs) self-sabotage. Like I got really irresponsible. Um, cause they tell you like, you can't have, they tell you not to have sex or unprotected sex cause there's a possibility you could get pregnant. So of course I was just being reckless, even though I knew this wasn't, healthy and wasn't what I wanted I just was I remember we went to his family reunion and and we were having you know unprotected sex and they told us not to and I'm like whatever we're fine it's not gonna nothing's gonna happen 
And I, we'd been together so long. Everyone was like, oh, where's your wife? And I'm like, oh, I'm not his wife. There's not a ring on my finger. <laughs> like, I was just very bold and rude about my emotions. And I had not been like that. Like, not around his family or anything like that. So, and this was during the summer. So, it was like June, July when this happened. So, things just. I think we kind of just are communicate. We were both probably numb and we just didn't communicate it. And I think mentally I was already checked out of that relationship, but I didn't know how to check out because I was also dealing with my own internal struggles. Like why, why, why me of all people? I love kids. I'd be a great mother. Why would that happen to me? And I had two friends that were pregnant at the same, like they found out they were pregnant and then I found out I was pregnant and I was just, I mean, I was devastated. Like everything I wanted was, granted it wasn't the way I wanted it. And once I accepted that, but like I wanted a kid, like I've always wanted children. So why, why would that happen to me? Like of all the people I could have raised that child alone. It would have been a strong child. I probably wouldn't have struggled why would you take that opportunity away from me? So that was hard for me to understand, to communicate, you know. So so then the relationship just continued to deteriorate. And I ended up going and getting therapy, um, which was the best thing that I could do, I could do for myself because I recognized, like, I couldn't even go to work. Like, I was having conversations with one of my friends at work, and bless her heart, she would talk to me every single day and she was older than I was and she just would listen and she knew and she heard the struggle and she also knew that I didn't like being vulnerable. So she was one person I was vulnerable with because the facade was always Jamie strong, Jamie can handle anything. So no one could see that crap. Yeah. You have no idea. Like the, uh, the amount of information you're sharing right now, I've, I've known you for 10 years. And this level of vulnerability, like we talk a lot, yeah. But it's about me, yeah. <laughs> you know, J- Jamie requires that I be vo- very vulnerable about myself with her, but I don't get this side of you. I don't get the truth very often. I don't get. Th- it's not that you hide these things from me, but it's that we don't talk about how you feel about things. Right. Well, I talk about it with my family a lot. I think I have that relationship with my mom. I have it with my brother. Um, we're a very close family. I have it with my aunt, with my cousin. And I think that, I mean, even my best friend from high school doesn't know the extent of what I, I'm sure she can imagine. She's a psychologist, so I'm sure she knows. But I just, I kept it very, for me, it was a family issue. And I think with you, my relationship with you was, I just didn't want to expose you to that. Like, and I don't think I understood it either. I think it was hard. Like I was processing more than I even could comprehend. So it was hard for me to express that. So then when I went to therapy, it was just like you said in your podcast, your talk, it was someone who had no clue who my significant other was, who I was, what my role was in the community, who just listened to me. Um, and it was really funny cause she was like, no, you fully understand what's going on in your emotions. You just need to make a decision on what you want to do. And I just looked at her and I, and I 
bawled because I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And she called me out on it. Yes, you do. You just don't want to say it out loud. And because it was admitting that this relationship failed mm. and I don't fail. At all. I, I don't, Ever. I mean, I fail, <laughs> but I don't fail at relationships. I don't fail at being supportive to people. That was what I prided myself on was I work in a community where these kids can rely on me. I don't care what time they called me. If they called me at two o'clock in the morning because they were scared because their parents were not home because they were doing something, I always gave them, here, here's my telephone number, my cell phone number. You call me anytime you want. I don't care. I'll come and get you. I always prided myself on being that person that would be there for people. And all of a sudden, this relationship that, and we were really good at faking it. This relationship that everyone thought from the outside was like a solid, we were like a power couple, like, look at them, they're strong, she's independent, he's 6'3", like, wow, they're this power couple. We weren't. We were a horrible, destructive couple. Um, and I failed. And I failed, and I think for me internally, it was like I failed at multiple levels. I failed at this relationship. I failed personally because I allowed myself to be consumed with someone else that my own personal life kind of stalled out. Um, my goals and ambitions became so focused on one person that I felt like I became very one single-minded. I no longer was focused on what I, my love and my passion. I was focused on one individual and anyone that would... draining. Right. It was draining. It was a draining relationship on me. And anyone that would ask me, anyone that was very close to me knew there were always issues between us. There was, I was never fully happy. He was never fully happy. He was mad at me for this. He was upset with me because I didn't tell him I got my hair cut. Like it was just a very odd now in retrospect. I mean, I just remember we'd get invites and be like, you didn't tell me you had a hair appointment. I, I'm sorry. I didn't know I needed to tell you I had a hair appointment. What do you care? I got a haircut. Or why didn't you tell me you had a doctor's appointment? I don't know. This is going on gynecologist. What do you care? Like I had a doctor's appointment, but so it was very odd. Like there was always this tug of power and who had it and so, you know, I think ultimately when I was sitting in that room with that therapist, like it was like this overwhelming, like, how in the hell did you just put yourself in a five and a half year relationship that should have ended three years ago? Mm. And you know it, you know it, like you knew it and damn you for your stubborn persistence. You knew it three years ago. So, you know, that was hard for me. And then the anger set in. So then there was a lot of anger. And the therapist looked at me and I went for like three or four months. So now you're looking at, okay, so we're leading into like November. So the therapist's like, all right, so you need a deadline. What's your deadline? And I said, January. And she said, why? I said, well, you've got Thanksgiving. I said, you've got my birthday, you've got Christmas and you've got New Year's. He's got four holidays. And ML King, because we had started dating, like, that was our first, like, big weekend where, like, we spent a whole weekend together. So, I'm like, you've got, like, five weekends that you could propose, because still I was in that mind of, this is who I was going to be with, even though it was, like, this dual craziness. Like, I knew this was a healthy relationship, but I still was determined, like, this is who I was going to be with. I was still dedicated to making it work, even though I knew it wasn't healthy, of you have an opportunity to salvage this. Um, and I said, at that point, 
if it doesn't happen, then I'm done. You've got more than enough You've got more than enough time to ask me to be that forever person, you know, if, if that's what you're gonna do. And he didn't. And he didn't. So. So what was it like dealing with that decision, right? So it's like, and I know a lot of people are gonna listen to this and go, oh my God, girl, don't do that. You don't put deadlines on men and asking for a ring and blah, blah, blah. But I'm almost listening to this and wondering if it was just like your way out. Like it was a reason to give you to, to well, make that decision. He didn't know I had a deadline. I know. He didn't know. That was the therapist conversation with me was so you've got options. You've got choices. You can stay forever and he may never ask you to marry you. You can give it a mental deadline and choose when you're going to walk away or you can walk away now. Right. But do you think it was like really in real life it was a reason? Like looking at it now, could it have been a reason for you to give yourself to I, walk away from this? I did because, I mean, again, five and a half years, I did love him. I mean, I can honestly say I, that's the first person that I had given myself to 100% and was willing, good, bad, I was going to take it and be with that person. Um, and I was attached. I mean, I was very attached to the family. I mean, I love the nieces and nephews, his parents, his, his it's siblings. Hard. It's hard to walk yeah. away from the family sometimes. That's the hardest it part. Was. So, I mean, it was, I mean, I was losing a whole second family that I had been with for five and a half years. And I mean, extended family, family reunions, grandparents, aunts, uncles, so, I mean, it was, it, it, was, it was a divorce. It was a divorce. Our relationship lasted as long as some marriages do these days. So it was a divorce. So I understand how married couples who go through this, especially when you have a great relationship with the extended family, but not, maybe not a great relationship with that person you're married to or in the relationship with, that's like you're losing a whole part of your family that you become accustomed to being with. Um, and I had that conversations with his sisters. We, that was our last Christmas was with his family. Um, we, they rented a house and we all spent Christmas together. And he, I don't think had told his sisters what had happened. His mom probably had, but no one talked about it. No one asked, no one brought it up. Um, and we were, me and his sisters were in a room and I said, I said, he's, he's got a deadline. I said, if it's not by January, I can't keep doing this. And they all kind of shook their head like, yeah, we understand. I mean, duh. Yeah. So for me, and that was like my goodbye, I think. And I think mentally my decision for January one wasn't so much to give him the opportunity, but it was to give me the ability to start that detachment, knowing I was losing them wasn't going to see them, wasn't going to have them in my life. So I think for me, it was what I needed for my separation. Um, and I, I was a coward when I did it too. Oh, I was a coward. I did it through text message. Like we, were <laughs> arguing, we were arguing back and forth through text message. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I can't keep doing this anymore. Um, but most of our conversations at that point were text message because we just... It was already over. It was already over. So it was, I don't, I don't want to talk to you and get into an argument. I'll just text you. Like, I don't... I was tired. Like, I didn't want to deal with it. So, yeah, oh, it was total cowardness. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, it was BS. I know that was bullshit, but I was like... That was the only way it was going to work for me because emotionally I would have never gotten through that conversation with, with him. 
and it would have been hard and it I would have second guessed and I would have been like is this the right decision and I just had to do it so we separated at that point and I did as much no contact as possible which the therapist had to help me with because he was going through some traumatic stuff at work all of a sudden and he would be texting me and so it was hard and I really had to shut down um and that was hard for me because I'm not that person. I'm not the person who, when you cry for help, I don't help you. I don't do that. I don't like to be that person. Right. Um, so that was hard for me, but I did. And then he reached out and said, let's meet, let's try to work this out. And I said, okay, fine. But it just was different for me. It was very different for me. I just, I had lost respect for him when he walked out of that doctor's office on that day they told me that I miscarried and I think for me that's all I saw when he was in front of me was Mm. the man who left me alone and that was really hard for me so but again the I can make this work maybe I can make this work and we tried to make it work and we looked at rings and he was gung-ho and it was gonna happen and I remember he sent me, it was another, it was just before summer, it was a long weekend, my aunt and cousin were here, we were at the beach, and he sent me a text message, and he was like, I feel like this is so forced, and I remember thinking, and I texted him, like, then I guess this is done, I said, you can come and get your stuff next weekend, and I don't know if he was just trying to do that to throw me off, but if you know me, Mm-hmm. You don't come at me with that because guess what? Then I'm done. I don't, this isn't what it is going to be. And, and so at that point I was just done. I didn't even care. And he, I was going to say, were you relieved or did that no, really break you down? No, that broke me down. I mean, that, I mean, that was, I, I mean, I say to you all the time, I don't cry in public. So that was one of those moments where I'm sure you strong women know you're in the shower by yourself and you are hyperventilating crying because that's your that was my safe spot like no one came in the shower and bothered me so (laughs) I can break down and be as vulnerable as possible in the shower because nobody saw it um and I just remember hyperventilating in the shower and sitting on the ground just thinking oh my god what happened like five and a half years what in god's name happened um and I packed his stuff and he was like well I'll come by and get my stuff and I said okay fine and he opened the door and his shit was at the door and he was pissed and I I was like about what what did you think was gonna happen I was gonna have a conversation with you no I was gonna be like you take another year to think about it <laughs> no, like your stuff's packed it's yours get it and go and and that was it for me but that started such a long cycle for me of, of recovery yeah it was a really hard recovery so before before we get into that back I want to back out of this whole situation and just looking at it as a whole how long did it take you because it took you a while to get out of this relationship right. so how long did it take you to fully like to revisit dating again to recover because I know I know parts of you never fully recover when you you know you, you take a piece of someone when you leave them but right. You know, how long did it take you to recover and get back to you and be able to date again? And like, how long was that whole process? So for me, it was a complete rediscovery of myself again, because I was part of a pair and I didn't know what it meant to be alone anymore. Like everyone knew everyone. Where's Daryl? No, 
we're not together, sorry. You know, so it was like a good year of like having it thrown in my face. And so that was a hard year. So it was like, nope, we're not together anymore. We're not together anymore. So it was like a year of like repeating myself of being, no, I'm single. Yep, 35, single, no kids. Yeah, I'm failure. Sorry, didn't get everyone what they wanted in life, which was marriage and a kid. So it was a year of that. Um, then it was a year of just straight anger. I mean, just anger, just angry angry mad I remember I have to talk about this I remember when I was living in um I was living by myself I lived by myself for quite a few years before I met Chris and I was in my apartment um and we weren't talking a lot that year Uh, you and I talk regularly but we weren't talking a lot that year and I remember we had a fallout on your birthday yeah it was when you moved home because no 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 no, 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 no. I had moved back to here. Back yeah. here, I was living in... But it was just after you had come back to St. Augustine. You were home for your birthday. We had a huge falling out. Then you got the job back in Tampa, Sarasota, wherever. You moved back down here. No, this is another time. I'm talking about when I lived in um, Countryside, in that one-bedroom apartment. And I was on the phone with you, and I think it was your birthday. It was something. No, that was... That was... That was... Right when I started to, I had a breakdown on the phone with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, so we. You were so like I could. You I was. was you were not you. Yeah. Like I was, I was like I don't even know who I'm talking to. And what was freaking me out the most is that you've always been my backbone. Like yeah. always. Like as soon as I'm about to break down or shit's about to hit the fan, I pick up the phone and call Jamie. Yeah. And when you're talking to me the way I talk to you, I'm like. Well, I don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to support you. I don't know how to be there for the strongest person in my life because you're the strongest person I know. So what am I going to do? Feed you the shit you feed me? I don't, I don't <laughs> know what to do. Like, yeah. I don't know how to be there for you. And you, we literally had a fight because you broke down on the phone and it wasn't like a crying breakdown. It was like a screw everyone, screw this. Right. Because I was, I was done because so, but that was, so your birthday was that year. It was, that was all the same year. So your birthday was that year. You'd moved home. Um, you and I got into a huge argument over it because I was done. Like you needed me. And I was like, what do you need? What do you like? I was just, what? I don't have it. And I just remember thinking that I remember thinking, I don't have it. Like I didn't have it for him. I don't have it for you. Everyone wants too much of me. There's nothing left for me. And so I remember feeling like that. And then you still carried on a relationship with him. Um, And I didn't want to speak negatively about him because he is a decent person. He is a good person. And he did help you in different ways that I couldn't help you with his connections. And I never, it was like that divorced couple. I didn't want to make the child choose between who to talk to. Like, I didn't want you to feel like, your alliance had to be to me so you couldn't talk to him. So it was really hard to always be positive and we're adults, we respect it because I was angry. I was angry. And then towards the end of that year, I don't remember, I think you had spoken to him and you were telling me something about it and I snapped. Like, I just snapped. And I was like, I'm so sick of pretending like I am a good human being and that this hasn't destroyed me. I'm like, I want to take a baseball bat to his car and bash every (laughs) single window and cuss him out and spray paint it. Like, I was raging. I was so angry. And I think it was because I tried so hard to just 
keep it all together. Keep it all together. No one needed to worry about me. I was fine. But I was numb for a good two and a half years. Um, But I needed to have that breakdown to move forward. And that was ultimately what led me to moving forward. And it was hard because I couldn't even go back to therapy because the therapist would say, you just have to move on. And until you're ready to do that, it's not going to happen. She's like, you can come here every single day and talk about it until you're blue in the face. But until you make the choice to move on, it's not your emotions and feelings are not going to change. It's still going to consume you. Mm. And do you remember we were at um, the TEDx event last night and a young lady spoke and I wish I could remember the individual she said that said the quote, but she said someone said a quote that if you can't change the situation you're in, then you have to change Change yourself. yourself. Yeah. And we get to that point. So now the decision's been made to leave the relationship. Now you're dealing with all the emotions and you've been dealing with it for a long time. Right. And then it gets to a point where it's like, okay, I can't live my life this way anymore. I was thinking myself. I can't change him (laughs) clearly because that's long and over with. So now it's like the decision is about me. I have to move forward with me. How does that go? Like, so that started with, me going back to college. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Because I hate school. Um, but but I, that's doing something for yourself. It was. It was me. Because in this time as well, so now you're going, all right, we were in a five and a half year relationship. The relationship pretty much focused on that person. My career stalled. Not that it stalled. I still loved my job, loved what I was doing, but there was not an ambition for more anymore at all. Like I enjoyed what I was doing and I was content. Let's get him where he needs to be. We move forward as a couple. So I kind of become stagnant at where I was, um, and then it was, I hate my job, I hate my life, so then I was in that rage for the, you know, year and a half, and then it was, I hate this person, I do not want to be this person, I hate who I am right now, like, I don't want to be that whiny, that unhappy person And also you realize I'm also dealing with the fact that I don't have the child that all my friends had. So I'm going to birthday parties. I'm going to christenings. I'm being asked to be a godmother. I'm going to weddings. I'm going to weddings. Like I'm going to all this stuff and I'm like, I'm so angry. Like I am. So for me it was, okay, stop complaining and what what are we going to do? So then I buried myself in going back to school and I got my master's in public administration. And that was like that stepping stone for me. It empowered you. It empowered me again. It gave me a focus. It gave me a drive. Um, There were, I knew in the next two years, some promotion opportunities were coming up in my department. So it gave me that goal of, okay, there are two upper management positions that are going to be opening up. If I don't get one of those, big decisions need to be made because I'm not going to stay in this department. Because at that point, I had nothing else but my job. So I'm not going to stay in this department if I don't have a future here being upper management and leadership, which is what I wanted again because I was back on track on focusing on me. So I did. I just refocused back on me, and that's that's how I pulled myself out. Um, And... I mean, you're still, like you said, you're never 100% healed. I mean, you and I have had that conversation. There's still anger in me about it and just frustration that I allowed myself to get sucked into something like that. 
um, frustration that he was not truthful to me because I think even he knew that that relationship wasn't what he wanted. So why did you take when you knew it wasn't what you wanted? So there's still, you know, there's still things that I struggle with and I get really frustrated with. And I'll never forget because at one point he had sent me a text message and he's like, because he went to therapy as well after telling him for years, he'd finally gone to therapy and he's like, I just want to thank you for everything you did to me. And I, I was like, don't ever text me again. <laughs> don't ever text me again. I'm so glad I could make you a better person for the next one that you decide to marry. I was, I mean, angry because I felt used. I felt used. I felt unappreciated. I felt unloved. And nobody wants to feel those things. No. Like nobody wants to feel those things, especially not from someone that you loved so much. So that was a really difficult challenge for me to overcome. Um, and then again, like I said, who the hell wants a 35 year old, you know, like who wants to start over at 35 years old? Like you freaking kidding me? Like my friends are all married with kids. Some of them have 12 year olds. Some of them have four year olds. Oh, but Jamie's single. <laughs> it could be worse. There's 35 year olds that are single with like three kids <laughs> right. looking, looking to remarry. And if they can figure it out, you can figure right. it out. <laughs> so it was like, you know, I just, you know, I just, it was a dark time for me, and I had never experienced that. I had never been the person who experienced dark time. I was always the person that people came to when they were in dark time. Um, and I didn't feel like, and it's funny because I have great friends, but I didn't feel like, and I think that it was just my own internal things, I didn't feel like I could have that conversation with someone other than like my mom, and I don't even think I, I didn't even really have it that much with her. Like I, I only broke down like a, I, like once, honestly, it was like once or twice, but I just, I don't like feeling weak and to me feeling vulnerable and exposed is weak. Um, and I think that that's a hard thing that I play with is understanding that feeling vulnerable is not mean you're that, that you're weak. It just means that you're vulnerable. And how do you fix that? And I could do it for other people. I could guide people to figure it out for themselves, but I couldn't figure it out for myself at that point. So mm. um, it was hard. It was really hard. And I mean, I wrote and I journaled and then I burned it and got angry. So I just, um, yeah, it was just, it was hard for me. It was really a hard phase of my life. And, and I was just lost just lost so I have to say this because this is what I love and you might even disagree but I really think that every single one of us is going to have this phase and I don't necessarily mean a dark relationship but this is what this entire podcast is about is overcoming adversity some type right. of level of dark phase or feeling stuck or not understanding where your life is going next this stranded phase in our life. And I think, I personally think that you are really becoming the best version of yourself. And, I, and I've always thought you were the most powerful, you know, amazing, in, inspiring person in my life. But watching you go through this, which scared the crap out of me because I'd never seen you like that. And then now seeing you come out on the back end, these, you know, this last year and a half or so, yeah. you got your master's, you have gotten a promotion at work. You are as happy as happier than I've seen you since I was 17, mm -hmm. you know, and you're doing all these things you love. And now all of a sudden you're traveling the world and yeah. you've been going on all these trips and you've got great friends. And 
is it hard to say, I know that you're still carrying a piece of this with you, but is it, is it hard to say that, um, you know, you're happier and you're very happy with where you're at and you feel like you learned some valuable lessons from this and you're okay with it? I think I learned a lot about myself. Mm -hmm. Am I happy about it? No, I think I still am angry that I allowed myself to get stuck for so long. Um, I think that I've, I felt and feel that I am very self-aware, knowledgeable, should be able to recognize, like I should have recognized that this wasn't a healthy relationship. And I just, I think I was, I'm disappointed in myself for not. And I've always been very honest with myself, like this isn't working. We don't need to fake this, this isn't working. And in all honesty, this is my first ex that I've never had a relationship with afterwards. This is the first person I dated that I will never speak to again and have no desire to. And I have relationships with almost all of my ex-boyfriends. Your friends. Right. We're you friends. Work. Like I, we have mutual for respect with each other. They work, work with each other. So, you know, for me, this was, um, this was very character building for me. It brought out, um, weaknesses in myself that I didn't recognize. It brought out strengths and weaknesses, good and bad things that I didn't know about myself, or maybe I just didn't recognize about myself. And again, I fully know that this was a two-way street. This was not all one person being bad. This was, I probably did just as many negative things to impact him as he did to me. Um, so I don't put all blame on one person, which that's just it. I think I'm the frustration was always with myself for not getting it, not just, it just not clicking in my head. So, but it's made me a better person because it has taught me, it may or may not have made me a better person. And I say, I, we had this conversation earlier is that I don't know if I'm going to be great in relationships. I'm in a great relationship right now. And I really love the person and we have mutual respect for each other. Um, but I think I'm just guarded a little of, you know, you know, I'm not playing this game. Like these are my expectations, which I don't think is always fair, but I'm not sure I will overcome all of that just because of my history. And we all carry a history, but I'm more open with my partner right now and the conversations we have. Um, and I think for him, he respects my success individually and he he's proud of it which is a first it's not a challenge between us he's like make that money breadwinner and i'm just like (laughs) i work for local government let's correct this phrase i don't make that money but you know what i mean like he prides him he prides on the fact that i am devoted to my job i am strong i am willing to work hard and make the money and I want it and I want nice things and I don't care who works but we're going to work and we're going to be the best possible partners there can be because I want big things and he wants big things but we want them together which I think is the thing that I've realized in this relationship is when he calls me for advice or he calls me to talk to me we and I give advice it's not hostile it's huh I didn't think of it okay yeah that makes sense all right I might try to do that implement that Mm, or it's no you're wrong you just don't understand the military okay fine don't talk to me about it again okay fine but then that's it like so we have a balance with each other like we don't hold grudges like I'm not a grudge holder but 
we can have a intense conversation and then we can be talking about football like so it's just a nice balance for us because nothing is taken personal um and i think that for me that's really important it's key to me is that it's not nothing i do is ever a personal attack on, on the person i'm with and it's nice to have someone who realizes that that i'm only trying to help you be better and you can help me be better um, so it's, it's just nice to be, I think, in an equal relationship right now. So I'm realizing this is definitely the relationship episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think you said so many powerful things just now about how y- the decision has to be yours to move forward. And you have to take so much ownership in realizing like the health and the status of a relationship that you're in. And I think that's something that women struggle with a lot is, um, you know, myself included is we'll stay in a, not my relationship now, but we'll stay in a relationship, um, for as long as we can hold on to it and expect dramatic change. And, you know, it's like that, it's that forever quote that we all know when someone shows you who they are, believe them, you know, and we know in our relationships who our significant other is. We know where this is going. We know the health. We understand it. We just won't own it. Right. We don't want to own it. Because the second you own something, what do you have to do? You have to make a decision. You have to move forward. And if I own that this relationship sucks, well, that means I have to take responsibility for getting out of it. And that includes hurt feelings. That includes money. That includes stress. stress. That includes yeah. problems. That includes anger and fighting. Well, let's just wait this thing out a little longer and maybe he'll change. change. Maybe I'll change. Maybe we'll work this out. Maybe six months from now, I'll have a completely different view on this relationship. And nine times out of 10, that's never what happens. And what I'm loving about this conversation is we are acknowledging how strong women are. And it's just in relationships that we have to be, and I'm not saying that everyone isn't, but it's in relationships that we have to step up and be willing to have the same strength we have as mothers and as career-driven women or business women or you know, how we are in our friendships. We have to be able to take that own, the same leadership and ownership in our relationships with our significant others. And then the powerful decision you made to move forward is we can't stay stuck. Yeah. We can't stay stuck. And it's hard not to. It's hard. Yeah. Especially, I think, when you're a very strong, you feel as though you're a very strong individual and you know how to make decisions and you know how to move forward. When you get stuck, you don't even recognize the tools to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's hard. I think the hardest thing is recognizing that you're not as strong as you thought you were. You're not as tough as you thought you are. And that you've been broken down and now you have to bring yourself back up. It's hard to ask for help, isn't it? It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but I talk a lot on all my episodes about what Jamie mentioned and it's, that's, that's being okay and open to therapy. There is some real serious help and benefit to going to therapy, even when you're not in a tough situation and you don't have to be crazy to see a therapist. An unbiased opinion is is real and it will help. And sometimes just talking and no one saying anything back, which is really just complaining, <laughs> but that is necessary sometimes yeah. to get that out because bawling stuff up inside for women, that's about one of the most dangerous things we can yeah. do because we lash out, whether it be anger or we go spend a whole bunch of money at the mall, you know, or we eat ourselves to sleep. Yeah. You know, or we end up drinking or whatever your outlet is, we end up doing something ridiculous when we hold that type of anger in. So I love how open you were about this story. I super, super, super love you (laughs) and appreciate this type of honesty because if you know Jamie and I, we spend 90% of the time talking about how stupid and ridiculous and dumb and 
the terrible decisions that I make. So <laughs> getting a vulnerable side to you um, and hearing about um, how tough this was for you and then being willing to share it with my audience was huge. So thank you. Welcome. <laughs> and she knows I love her to death, so I don't have to tell her that. <laughs> and I love you. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I hope um, for anybody out there, if you've you know ever experienced anything like this, you've been in a tough relationship, you know how real this was. If for any of you, God forbid, I don't wish this on anyone, but if you've ever had a miscarriage, I'm sure this is really, really going to hit home for you. Um, and I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode because this girl, this woman is like the other love of my life. So I hope you enjoyed it and um, make sure you rate and review if you enjoyed it and make sure you check out the stranded And I hope you guys have a, a great one. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of The Stranded Podcast. If you felt inspired or moved today, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about us and our guests at thestrandedphase.com. And don't forget that your stranded phase is a rite of passage on your journey to greatness.